Welcome, everybody. Time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense. Brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable 10-step process. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C. Our host today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies. John's guest is John Edwards, Executive Vice President at Communique, helping direct digital marketing, and sales initiatives for both B2B and B2C clients. The title of the show is Digital Strategy, How Elite B2B Competitors Get It Right and How You Can Too. Over to you, John. Well, Johnny Edwards, great to have you back on the show for part two of our three-part series. (laughs) Thank you, John. It is great to be back with you again. So just kind of the big umbrella picture, why is a B2B digital strategy so important today? We get asked this question a lot, and I think the answer could really not be more timely. First, let me take a quick shot at breaking those two words apart. Let's start with the strategy word. When it comes to strategy, Sun Tzu, the legendary Chinese military leader, may have said it best. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. (laughs) Right. And I think, of course, this is true of just about any business endeavor, digital or otherwise. Wouldn't you agree? Totally agree. One of the distinctions here is, though, that your elite B2B competitors understand this very well, and they never just wing it. And we'll probably come back to what those differences are. But when it comes to digital, lately, I've been asking audiences to consider what folks like McKinsey and Forrester, Gartner and others are saying these days. You know, the first, of course, is that we're in an unprecedented global pandemic with accelerated digitization and automation. We know that sales cycle times are now 44% longer. More than half of buyers are experiencing freezes, reductions, they're delaying their purchases. 77% of firms because of that are sharpening the saw. You know, they're investing in increased training on sales skills and negotiating skills. They're taking advantage of stay-at-home requirements, which, by the way, may be long-lasting. Sales leaders now rate digital channels 100% more important than face-to-face meetings. And finally, you know, buyers now value effective digital interactions up to 250% more than traditional interactions. So again, elite competitors are acutely aware of these shifting trends, and they are responding accordingly. Yeah, those statistics are pretty crazy, aren't they? Absolutely. Yep. What I just saw, another trend that goes along with this is that 75% of the buyers don't care if they ever talk to a sales rep again. (laughs) Wow. Which has huge implications, right? Huge implications for how many salespeople do we need? What kind of salespeople do we need? So I know that's kind of ground level, but that's got to fit into this whole digital strategy. Yes. So when you think about an umbrella for a digital strategy, what are some of the components? What's it encompass? Yeah. So basically what makes up a digital strategy? What does it encompass? Absolutely. So a digital strategy in its simplest form really it combines two things together. First, it takes into consideration what we call your digital presence, which is what your buyers are really experiencing at the top and middle of what we call their path to purchase journey with you online. And the second thing is your digital selling, which is your tools and skills that are applied at the bottom of that same journey used to convert those folks into customers. In a previous podcast, you and I devoted an entire episode to the concept of digital presence, and I encourage folks to listen to that. But let me quickly summarize it for you here again. 
digital presence is built on five pillars. One, elite performers know what Google thinks about them and the impact it has on their search results using a success metric that we call domain authority. And again, I encourage you to listen to the previous podcast where we talk about that in greater detail. Two, when it comes to search, they know where and how often they're showing up on results pages and for what terms. Three, they understand the impact that social media platforms, especially LinkedIn, can play in terms of finding prospects and generating leads. Four, they understand what it takes for their website to be highly relevant and impactful at all stages of that buying journey. And five, they have the digital tools and technologies that can advance buyers in order to turn prospects into marketing qualified leads, marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads, and ultimately into closed one revenue. And finally, and just as important, these companies understand where their competitors fall across each of those five dimensions. Now, digital selling, on the other hand, which is going to be the focus of our next podcast, is the result of a rapidly changing post-COVID world that's placing tremendous pressure and urgency on B2B sales teams to adapt and evolve, much like the statistic that you, you referenced earlier. Again, folks like McKinsey and Gartner and Forrester ask you to consider the following. 90% of sales interactions have moved to video conference slash phone slash web in terms of their sales model. 78% of buyers now prefer video conferencing over telephone calls. 77% of buyers will not engage with a salesperson who can't provide deep insights about the buyer's business. And we know for a long time, cold calling never works, right? 95 plus percent of people will never respond to a cold call outreach. So the bottom line is that how your buyers want to engage and buy from you has really permanently changed. Again, video conferencing is replacing your face-to-face and your team meetings. Prospecting, research, and lead building is being done online increasingly with tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator and not on the trade show floor and certainly not by just dropping by at the customer's plant. In addition, you've got artificial intelligence tools that are being applied, automated demos that are being created. Some companies are even pivoting to e-commerce. So with all of that, and also finally the realization that even after an opportunity is opened in your CRM, those late stage buyers are still going to zigzag between your salespeople and your online resources in order to complete the purchase process. So if I could wrap it all up in a bow, in a world where the lines between marketing and sales have become permanently blurred, your digital strategy really unifies your digital presence at the top and middle of the funnel and your digital selling at the bottom of the funnel to enable you to create a customer. Yeah, and 15 years ago, sales and marketing were at each other's throats, <laughs> right? The, the marketing guys would say to the sales leader, you know, we, we give your salespeople great leads and they don't follow up. And then of course the sales leader would say, yeah, but they're crappy leads. Exactly, <laughs> yes, that had been the great divide. And again, circumstances are forcing all organizations, especially effective ones, to realize that this is a team effort now. And by the way, the buyer is managing 70% of that path to purchase with you online, and you don't even know you're being looked at. So unless you get it right from the marketing and sales side, understanding that it's going to take a lot of touches. John, you have a great statistic. I believe it's 12 touches uh, are required for a typical kind of longer sales cycle B2B sale. Digital selling and digital presence make up a big part of those. So unless they're coordinated, you're going to be in trouble. 
Well, John, we've talked about overall digital strategy and also kind of reviewed quickly the, the five pillars of the digital presence. What would an overall framework look like for a company's digital strategy? Certainly. We call them the four Ps. I'll lay them out here. Position, planning, promotion, and performance. So let's start with position. That's essentially the current state of your business online. This is highlighted by where you would fall on those five digital presence dimensions that we talked about. For example, what is your domain authority and those of your competitors? Where do you and your competitors fall in terms of search results and for what terms and phrases? How do your social media followers, content engagement rates compare with competitors? Is your website better, the same, or worse than your competitors across what I'll call both qualitative and quantitative dimensions? And do your competitors employ best practices tools like marketing automation? And do you to turn qualified prospects into leads and then ultimately customers? So that's the first one. Once that data has been assembled, next comes what we call the planning phase. This typically takes about 30 to 45 days. We would take, or you should take your digital presence scores and you know the position that we just talked about, and then gather further inputs. These include surveying key stakeholders within your organization and maybe even customers for, you know, what's your sales and marketing processes? You know, where are they strong, weak, or okay? Keyword research of you and your competitors, content research, social media research, website research, including the technical and SEO review of your website for indicators that share whether or not Google, you know, thinks your site is performing well. And then best practices tools and your competitors that your competitors may be using. It also includes things like aptitude assessments for all customer-facing people. We would include that as inputs into the planning process. And then from there, really, you end up with pretty much all the inputs you need to construct a go-to-market strategy. Ultimately, this includes prioritized list of quarterly projects and milestones that often can be implemented by one executive or internal sponsor. Once you have your position and your plan in place, then you move on to promotion. Quick question, John. That 30 to 45 days seems like a long period. Is is that typically done internally or do companies typically need to go outside to find experts to help with that? Well, definitely, if you're going to be surveying customers, you probably want to go outside because then you have an opportunity for somebody who's not affiliated with the company to get probably what I would call a more honest or fair answer to a question. You know, sometimes you want to talk to customers that have fired you and you certainly want to get, you know, kind of honest input from those that are working with you. You know, why did they choose you? Why do they like you? Why do they continue to work with you? Sometimes if you ask those questions, it may just be biased because, you know, they just don't want to say anything they feel you might find uncomfortable. So I think certainly in the survey part, that's the case. For the other stuff like like, hey, what are my keywords? And you know, what are the metrics that I need to think about when I think about my content or my social media? Oftentimes, those tools don't exist internally within the business. So you'd have to go ahead and acquire them if you want to use them yourself. Or you could rely on somebody like us that you know this is a process and we have all of the tools and we have the data to basically collect and align all of this for a customer. So I would say in many cases, this is an outsourced function to a company like ours. But again, we're leaning heavily on information from internal stakeholders in order to collaboratively you know, build this and put it together. John Asher, it's time to take a quick commercial break. Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, 
customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. We've been speaking with John Edwards about how elite B2B competitors get digital strategy right and how you can too. Now back to the discussion. I agree with the outside consultant idea. I remember when I first got into business, I resisted using consultants, but then one of my customers told me a story about the Dutch uncle syndrome. I'd never heard the story. And the story was, you know, the dad keeps telling the son to do this, this, and this, and the son ignores him. And then one day, the son's uncle, the dad's brother, comes over and tells his nephew the same thing. And the nephew goes, oh, man, what a great idea. <laughs> so I've learned that if you get the best consultants, uh, you're in great shape. Exactly. It reminds me of uh, giving tennis lessons to my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> right. If somebody else says it, then it's worth doing. So uh, just picking up where we left off. So again, we've kind of established the state of the state with the presence. We now, you know, have a plan in place in order to move forward on the promotion side. You know, this is digital presence in action. So this is basically running your organic and paid search and social media programs. It's, you know, optimizing your website and adding content, including blogs and, you know, lead converting content like case studies and e-guides that live off of landing pages and collect leads. It's email marketing and nurturing in the middle of that buyer journey and its other demand generation programs as well. And then it concludes with the fourth P, which is performance, which is, okay, we've done all this hard work to identify, engage, and collect leads and kind of nurture them along. At some point, they're done researching, right? And they're ready to buy from us. So that's where we want the digital selling tools that are in place. This is whether it was prospecting or using leveraging LinkedIn Sales Navigator to get further insight into who the buyers are and everything else to having tools that will you know identify that they are a qualified lead through their demographic or firmographic behavior, whether it's those AI tools tools or automated demos that we know are going to engage people in a way that historically, you know, we weren't able to. All of those things together then help sort of close the loop. And you start with somebody who's never heard of you, doesn't know what you do, and doesn't know if you solve a problem that they have, all the way to the very end where they become a customer and ultimately they become a loyal customer that refers you. That's great. So when you go through all the four P's, and you've kind of finished, what would it look like? Another great question, talking about deliverables here at this point, whether they're internally generated or outsourced, like we talked about. For me, that includes the following things, some of which I've already mentioned, probably. It's that digital presence report with a side-by-side comparison of your metrics versus your competitors. It's having in hand actual keyword research findings and initial recommendations around prioritized search terms and phrases. It's those content recommendations based on the keyword research, which also identifies where the content gaps are, where do we need to have content that it doesn't exist. Social media findings and initial recommendations, including who we need to engage with, where are they, what kind of content do they want to consume, and are we producing it at the right levels. It's the competitiveness and value proposition of your website for your buyers with associated recommendations. It's understanding through assessment tools, whether you have the right salespeople in the right roles. It's having access to self-paced online sales training modules that are particularly adapted for today's changing sales environment. And finally, it's technical technology recommendations around best practices tools like marketing automation and tracking and attribution code. When all of that is done right, 
the successful companies are probably going to apply what we call a value driver analysis, which will take all of those above outputs and in a quick and succinct fashion, prioritize them into essentially four buckets that help identify the initial objectives and projects that we want to undertake, along with the internal champions that we want to assign to those and the deadlines that we want to give them. And very quickly, those buckets are high impact, low cost, or low effort. We would put a star on these as getting started right away. Low impact, low cost, uh, that's low hanging fruit, near-term opportunities because it's easy to get started, but get to it when you can. High impact, high cost. These are going to be your longer term projects that are going to take more time and planning, but they're well worth it. And then finally, you know, the inevitable high cost, low impact, you know, sometimes people call these dogs, but you know, those are obviously going to be your lowest priority options. So it's not just that it feels like you could be boiling the ocean here. What you want to do is you want to have the right set of inputs aligned against the right kind of data that is available. And then that generates the outputs that allow us to sort of rack and stack all of these opportunities in a succinct way in order to identify what are we going to do first and second and third. So let me ask one question about that. I know from my own experience that one of the toughest things to do is to develop great content. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, a company can't do it themselves because everybody's busy or they're not good writers or there's all kinds of reasons. And I do know when you try to outsource it, it is pretty expensive because you're engaging you know, well-qualified senior people who are really knowledgeable and good at it. Just as an example of your value driver analysis, where would content be typically of your four categories? Content is critical, right? Content is yeah. what your buyers are engaging with. We are doing a lot of things. We're posting on social media. We're improving our website. We're doing all of this work, right? But at the end of the day, we're writing emails and sending them. But at the end of the day, what people engage with is the information that we put in front of them. So the more valuable that information is, the more impactful it's going to be in terms of sales. It could either be low cost, high impact, or it could be higher cost, high impact. And by that, I might suggest like, let's say we're going to write a very detailed 12-page e-guide that really you know, identifies critical pain points in the buyer journey. We know it's going to be massively popular, but it needs to be substantive. The value exchange needs to be very, very high to you know, communicate the impression you know, in the right way to people who consume it, that we are the subject matter experts here. That could involve interviews with internal stakeholders who are very, very knowledgeable on the subject, but it needs to be well-written. It might need to be a technical document, but there's an art to writing technical content that is consumable in a marketing way. So I think you need to have all of those kind of things to, to sort of factor into it. So, but in general, I think it's not that hard to create the content if you sort of think through what your editorial calendar is going to be, where those content content gaps are and what content you need to be able to provide in the early in the, in the journey, middle of the journey, and at the end of the journey. And the last thing that I'll say about that is that investment in content has a very long shelf life. So right. let's say you did invest several thousands of dollars in a piece of content. Well, let's say it was 10,000, just to throw out a number. You know, by the time that you've gotten 10 leads, well, it cost you $1,000 a lead for that piece of content. Well, now you got 100 leads. 
Well, <laughs> you know, now you're at $100 per lead. Now you got 1,000 lead. Now you're at $10 per lead. You can kind of see how the curve goes, right? So whether you invested $2,500 in a piece of content or 1,000, the way I like to have people think about it is, okay, well, what's the long tail of this, right? With every new lead that comes across, the cost per lead goes down. This isn't like pay-per-click where when you stop spending, the leads dry up. This is stuff that has a very long shelf life, a very long tail. And if you think long-term about the value of a really critical piece of content, the cost per lead is an area to focus on. And the better the content, the more the leads and really sort of the lower the cost overall. So kind of think of, you know, total cost of ownership or lifetime value. That's the way to think about content investments. And the ones who do it well, really reap huge benefits for taking the time to get it right at the beginning. Yeah. So if you're going to be good at content, it has a big impact. You, you really become a thought leader. Content is your number one lead magnet. Really, it is, right? If think about every time you've ever given up your first name, last name, company name, and email address, there had to be something kind of nicely valuable or urgent or timely that you wanted to get access to that made you willing to do that. So that's the bar that you're trying to hit. Now, in addition to that, you're cranking out blog articles, which you know you can do faster and they, they can be less substantive. By the way, that big piece of content that we talked about, that probably has within it maybe seven blog articles, each of right. which could then post to the large lead magnet piece for air quotes, the whole story. And then within that, there's probably 15 or 20 or 30 social media posts, which can drive people to the blog posts and or to the lead magnet piece itself. And there's probably three infographics buried in there. And I mean, just sort of think about it. We, we call it a content pyramid, but one piece of content can produce a mountain of additional content that's related to it, all working together to help you know, generate new leads. Oh, yeah. One of our social media mavens, she does uh, tweets based on our blog articles. She gets exactly. 15 tweets out of each blog. <laughs> yeah. And if that blog article is a piece of a larger, you know, downloadable content piece, then the blog article references that piece and you can sort of see how the whole chain of events come together. All right. Terrific, John. So this has been very helpful, very insightful. By the way, when I asked about content, I figured you were going to say either high, I knew it was going to be high value. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be somewhere between high and low costs or mid costs. And that's essentially what you said, isn't it? That is correct. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, so, that's right. So, John, if somebody wanted some help from an outside expert consultant like yourself to help them in the four Ps for a whole digital strategy, how would they contact you? Well, yep. Thank you for asking. I will say that both Communique, my company, and Asher, we address digital presence, digital strategy, and digital selling either individually or in combination, right? I mean, you're going to yep. pivot more towards the digital selling side, certainly digital presence and strategy. We, you know, we would do, and then the strategy can be a combined effort. So it, right. for me personally, I can be reached anytime via my email address, which is jedwards, J-E-D-W-A-R-D-S at communique.world. That's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A. And you can visit our website anytime to learn more about our company at uh, communique.world. Uh, finally, you know, again, contact any Asher representative too to express an interest in any of these areas. You know, we're, John, as you know, you and I are both very close strategic partners and yep. we work together to help clients turn prospects into, into long-term and loyal customers. You know, that's really the, the end game for us. So thank you, John. Thank you, yep. Dave, for inviting me here today and had fun developing both the first two of the three pillars of being effective digitally online. And I look forward to our next conversation on digital selling. Great. Thanks so much, John. And thank you, everybody. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to join us again next week at the same time. 
From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. To learn more about how John Asher and his training and coaching team of former business leaders can help you close deals faster, simply visit asherstrategies.com.